Yeah, um, uh, it's, we haven't recorded in like three or four weeks. Uh, but, kidding. Yeah, I know. Oh, I took uh, the same amount of time off. I just did a, I just did grind bin for the first time on Thursday after like a, a month off. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still getting, still getting my sea legs back. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, it's gonna start now. Hello and welcome to, God damn it, not we cut heads. Oh, you uh, guys have really changed your show name. <laughs> Shoot the well, welcome to God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot Hello the piano. The double dragon. Shoot the piano player. Finch New Wave podcast. I'm Spencer, and with me is uh, a man unstuck in time, trying to tell the story of his life or something. You, you simply caught me in a section of my life towards the end when I have to represent whether I'm living, dying, seeing beyond. Finally, visiting my dreams and you know the tragedy of never actually getting to experience them, and hoping only that people have positive thoughts of me in this world and the other worlds that exist. Hi, I'm Joel. Yeah. So this is the special episode for uh, June, which happens to be Pride Month, and I didn't even plan on th- this being. Uh, the topic this sort of happened like oh yeah uh Jean Cocteau kind of one knocked that one out early and it's like oh and then well he was openly gay so it's like oh it's kind of weirdly appropriate too just want to get that out of the way it wasn't planned it sort of just happened like that um so yeah Jean Cocteau uh famous artist uh among other things we'll get into it but the person who picked this topic and I want I want answers as to why is uh, Bobby from the Grind Bin. Hello, fellas! Great to see you. You're probably wondering why I'm wearing this costume. <laughs> I I like a man dressed as a horse. <laughs> it, it's great to be back. It's been way too long, and uh, and I'm glad to have brought such a such a bizarre film for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Surprisingly, this is exactly what I needed to like feel like oh yeah I actually do like movies because <laughs> I've been taking a break like everybody else like yeah let's let's rewatch house why not it's like oh you know film? it happens you know you stray hmm. once in a while and you got to you got to find something to recenter you yeah um as far as my explanation spencer uh you know uh you would uh-huh. you would ask me to pick a film and um I wanted to uh, for a number of reasons I chose this one you're, we're doing a French new wave show. I want to get uh, a French filmmaker, and I want to really like get one of the heavy hitters. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'd only, you know, Jean Cocteau, big name as far as French filmmakers or filmmakers in general goes. Uh, but I myself had only ever seen uh, his 1946 Beauty and the Beast, which mm-hmm. is a phenomenal film. The one that uh, 
the uh, influence was felt through many other adaptations and many other projects you know, as time went on. I was like, okay, I need to see another Jean Cocteau film. Uh, why don't I pick his final film? You know, mm-hmm. his sort of, uh, his Johnny Cash covering Hurt. Hmm. <laughs> you know, how yeah. he's going to, and oh man, I didn't know what I was getting into when I picked it, but but wow. <laughs> oh, you just kind of like picked it on a... Yeah, I, I was kind of looking over his filmography, and I was like, well, it might, be, it might make sense to check out his final film. And then I read what it was about, and I went, oh, okay. Yeah, we're doing this one for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cocteau was a fascinating guy. He kind of did everything in the art world, and he was good at everything. He uh, attempted and did, like, he there's a restaurant or cafe or whatever that he did, like, the art that decorated the walls. I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore, but um, like he did sculpture, like he he did kind of everything under the sun, and he was um, his first his first few movies aren't around anymore because he he started in the silent era, and as people listening probably know, I think like eighty percent of the movies from that era are lost or destroyed, but. Um, and he and uh, he didn't start making movies until he was in his forties. And at the time of uh, this film, Testament of Orpheus, he was uh, only three years away from his uh, from his death, and he was, you know, clearly an old man, just reflecting on life and his career. And so, Joel, can you think of the first time you ever heard of um, Jean Cocteau or his movie or anything? I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, I thought my thing was off. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. Rendered him speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I had to really unstick myself. Uh, so, in context of film, the only thing I really know from him is Beauty and the Beast, which Bobby mentioned. I haven't seen it myself because every time I look at the cover, I go, do I really want to watch an hour and a half of Beauty and the Beast that isn't <laughs> Disney? I don't even know if I want to watch the Disney like no Mrs. Potts, get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Who is fucking that chandelier? Candelier? Candelabra? No, they're fucking behind the candelabra. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Speaking of somebody who's like a son but is not a son, Matt Damon. No. Um, yeah. So <laughs> man, this, I, I this don't episode's really... traveling through time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know anything about the man himself, but you. You know, uh, I've got his Wikipedia uh-huh. open here, and like you said, he wrote plays, and he wrote film, and he did art, and he did sculptures, and he wrote books and uh, poems, obviously, and it's like, and Pablo, Pablo Picasso has like a non-speaking part in the movie we watched, and I'm like, yeah, that's the way he was too, so I think it was just like that era where it's like, oh, you can be all kinds of different artists, and people will appreciate you, and then, you know, you make your eight and a half but you have the uh you have the respect of doing a testament of your own filmmaking slight biography to die within a few years of doing it unlike uh what's his name eight and a half yeah fellini yeah fellini because that that wasn't his no. He kept making movies. He had like three more decades of, of movies to make. Yeah. <laughs> he wrapped it up and then stuck around for 30 <laughs> more years. 
Uh, but yeah, like, Cocteau was definitely always, I, mean, I know when I was a child, it was always mentioned in the same kind of breath when you're talking about world cinema. You know, when you find mm. out that there's people making movies in other parts of the world, you hear Fellini, Kurosawa, Cocteau. Those were, like, mm. the biggest names of, of filmmakers elsewhere. Mm. At least that was mm. the case for me. I don't know about you guys. I mean, when, when did you guys first hear about him? Probably when I first became aware of, like, French movies is one of the first names I saw. You had to be, because like, because I, I knew about him before I knew about French New Wave. I, and uh, I, I didn't like. This is the first one I've ever seen. I've seen clips of Orpheus and Blood of a Poet, his oldest surviving movie, um, the one from twenty seven, I think it is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just like I was into movies, and I once I heard their French movies, like okay, Jean Cocteau is a name I should be aware of and that was kind of it yeah uh, but um, so um, we kind of joked off uh, off air about this but so this movie is like autobiographical and there's a part about uh, his adopted son and um, so uh, Joel uh, since I mentioned uh, well do you have any idea of what uh, what that was referring to exactly? <clears throat> I assumed anything I didn't understand had to do with either his personal life or it had to do with mythology, which I also know very little about. Okay. Well, uh, the whole adopted son thing is he was op- he was openly gay, and as you know, you know uh, they couldn't get married. They they uh, it was illegal to some, to you know to various degrees in many parts of the world. So. A common practice was the older one would adopt the younger one so that they can pass off like money or um, possessions and stuff like that after right, they so, die. I mean, that's, that's certainly a loophole. I get that. Yeah. yeah. I, have a, uh, I have a distant relative who did that exact thing oh. with his partner. He's a much older man. I think he's no mm-hmm. longer with us. But uh, it was like my grandmother's cousin, you know, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he had to adopt his partner so that his partner could get the, uh, the the things that you couldn't get because you couldn't get married. Yeah. And so um, the movie doesn't... Although, I mean, like, uh, people at the time knew, like, you know, Cocteau uh, was, was gay. It was no secret. And, um, yeah, but I feel like, uh, like, as, Joel, as you... Uh, figured out like uh, well, you feel like it's not super clear in the movie about that one part and it's just kind of like which kind of adds to like the mystery of what this movie is where it's like it, it's clearly a biography but but it doesn't explicitly tell you everything and it kind of forces you to like learn more learn more about him and then like and then it adds more layers to like okay this is like a very abstract cool way of looking at like how to do a biography of of yourself sure but i think it works outside of that simply as an exercise in like using all of the skills that he learned as an artist over the years and and presenting them in a uh you know for the fourth wall which gets mentioned like in the movie does not exist there's not a fourth wall because all you know time and life and everything is supposed to be happening simultaneously so like not knowing anything about 
the director's life or anything like that didn't take away from the movie personally for me at all I just kind of like rode the wave of not knowing where anything was going and like I kind of loved it Yeah. okay um so I, I describe it as an autobiography. Like, how would you guys describe what this movie is? Oh, it's it's definitely uh, an autobiography. And uh, much like Joel was saying, it's a really interesting way to present an autobiography. Hmm. Kind of, uh, it feels like he's just kind of you know, pulling from everything <laughs> all at the same time, just pulling stuff out of the air. It's like a, a, listening to an old man uh, have a very rambling conversation <laughs> as he tells you his life story. <laughs> yeah. And like he'll get sidetracked about this other thing for a little while, and then come back to. It. He's like, "Wait, did I mention the horse people?" Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. like, "No, Grandpa, but go ahead. Exactly. I want to hear the rest of this." I kept thinking Grandpa Simpson with the the nickels with a B on it. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of and he's dozing off halfway through mm-hmm. and waking back up and thinking he's in a different part of the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. No. And uh, another thing I thought a way to describe this movie is. This is a movie that can be described in one sentence, uh-huh. or it can be described in a hundred sentences, but not anything in between. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Cocteau kind of does both. Yeah. 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 Um, I, like, I, oh. I would call it a action sports movie, if I had to define it by genre. Okay. I, th- I think you hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> I could not have described it better. Yeah, uh, like, uh, this is my first cocktail movie I've ever seen, but, uh, like, immediately I knew I, I, I would say I do, I love it, it's just, like, just the simple, like, uh, effect, uh, effects work is, like, is mind-blowing, it, but, like, I feel like half of it is just the camera playing reverse. But yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that is so much of this movie is Cocteau going, did you guys know you could run this shit backwards? <laughs> like, and like, he's just going to do as much of it as he can. I mean, th- throwback to the things that he learned when making silent films, like tricks that still work, you know, before computers were a thing. And it's it's kind of, at first it's like, oh, that's fun. And then it's like, for me at least you get sucked into the movie so much that you're like oh yes this reverse makes sense and I kept thinking about how difficult it is to make a a reverse shot look like it's not reverse when you're filming it (laughs) because he had to very carefully plan like okay um, for the the scene where he is wiping the chalk off of the the black painting Mm -hmm. to to attempt a self-portrait right and it appears like he's drawing it on with the the rag like he had to make sure his back was turned in a way and reach for the rag in a way where it didn't look like he was looking to put it back it was like i know where the rag is i've got it and oh then absolutely slowly, yeah uh similarly the reassembling a dead flower oh yes that to, was to make it look like you are doing some kind of work with your hands instead of just your moving backwards with it you know yeah uh, it's it's funny, amazing to think about like how how they achieved that in you know what was he filming this in fifty nine yeah mm-hmm. uh, like yeah we could do that on our phones now but like in fifty nine that's it's insane that must have blown minds in the theaters yeah it yeah. took three VCRs to do the effects <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he was doing that like in the twenties with his 
with his, uh, silent error stuff, which is That's like, true. which even thinking about things like that must have been so time consuming because he did like a lot, a lot, a lot of set design, the, like the art you see in the background is his art, and just like looking at the set design and everything is like that, this I can't imagine just doing all of that and then also acting and directing in your own movie at the same time. Like, it's too much. I'd be overwhelmed. Just because we're not unstuck in time, we don't realize that we actually have an infinite amount to figure out exactly where we want to lay it down. It appears that the man died three years after this film was released, but in actuality, he's still alive. (laughs) That's he's still working on the movie. That's, that's one of the things the movie's about. Is about like you know after like, uh like the uh, like art surpassing you know the life the life um lifespan of the artist. Absolutely, one one could argue by virtue of the fact that we're talking about him right now, he has not yet died. Oh. Yeah, yeah. this gonna be a real deep episode, guys. I've decided to become a vindictive artist, and I my goal is now to destroy all reference to Jacques mm. Cartier. I can't even remember his name. See, I'm, I'm working already. I'm going to say Jacques Tati. <laughs> yes, Jacques Tati. Goodbye. Yeah. Then, Jean-Luc Picard, recovered for you. <laughs> Is Jean-Luc Picard a playoff of Jean-Luc Godard? I mean, it must have been. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I've always wondered that. What? Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yes. But um, Did he ever play Godard? <laughs> Speaking I'm, of assless chaps. <laughs> I'm sure um, Godar would probably love it because he has weird, like weird opinions on. Stuff. Like he said, like Shock Tati is a father of French realism, which is like, sure, hmm. okay, <laughs> because he sees life as absurd. <laughs> I guess. But um, and also watching this, I can't help but think of um the most recent uh uh Christopher Nolan movie Tenet, which I just saw because it was put on HBO Max and uh and thinking of like how Tenet is like they have to explain to you like this is the I forgot even the terminology in that movie already um it, I don't hate it I think it's fine but like but like that movie introduces like the whole reverse reverse thing and it's like it, it, it takes the effort to like and this is how it works and this movie's like it just is and you accept it and you and it moves on and like you know there's another beautiful scene of like silent sure. era special effects yeah it, it's it's because i i don't know in particular how nolan comes up with his films but he does feel like in order to explain a magical element that contains you know within his films that are super dreamlike anyways he has to like have a, a level of explanation and for modern audience, especially if he's appealing to modern audiences, I get that. For me, it's never been a problem that something doesn't have to be explained, unless the movie is really stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like it, like it's obviously a script mistake and not an intentional artistic choice. <laughs> then, it, then I might have a problem with it. Yeah. And um, uh, Bobby, any thoughts on the Christopher Nolan comparison? You know, I haven't seen Tenet yet, so I can't uh, I can't chime in about it, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but I was thinking of Inception. Yeah, Inception it's too. Practically the same thing. Because I think Nolan has said um, Cocteau was an influence on him. 
At least for I, mean, I can I can see that definitely in some of his other works. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Inception specifically he mentioned it, but I, I can't remember exactly. But uh, uh, but like uh, like this movie sounds like sounds like it could just fall into the fall into the trap of being like pretentious art or whatever. But like it's so playful and fun with with how everything is done, where it's like well like. It is artsy and philosophical, but at the same time, like, there is a sense of humor and a sense of lightness, even though it's talking about, like, death and, like, you know, things that, like, yeah, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I do. And it, it managed, I agree, though, that it's really fascinating how it manages to be a summer and a winter at the same time. In that it, uh,. He is being... He has vanished entirely up his own ass. You know, oh, yeah. he is being... Um, he's really... He's leaning so hard into the pretension, but intentionally. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's just like, I'm just going to cut loose, and I'm going to do it so much that it becomes uh, fun <laughs> to see how, how far I go with this. It's the... Uh, you know, when Barney made a short film on The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, don't cry for me. I'm already dead. You know, it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, I like the idea of him, like he's he's you know the poet bloviating about the importance of poets in this world, uh, but then he's kind of turning back at you and winking, like it's okay, man, I'm in on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like feel free to laugh at this. You know, the Simpsons are really the touchstone for every film reference. I have. <laughs> they really covered everything. Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. gonna say, if somebody criticized this movie by saying it was like um, self pretentious uh, masturbation by the filmmaker and that's why they didn't like it i'd be like yep you're totally right and i understand that <laughs> that is totally what it is mm-hmm. but but he knew that going into it yeah i, I still <laughs> think it's super awesome yeah and I, I on paper i would not be interested in a project like this oh yeah yeah like this is not my kind of thing but i enjoyed watching this film so much right if somebody came and told me that they were doing their one-man show i'd be like what the fuck is wrong with you and i'd leave but uh <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know yeah. um what do you guys think of use of like the use of like greek mythology in, in this Oh, you, you've got me every time when you start folding that in. But you know that's the best. It's the best go-to as far as like a storyteller trying to uh, to summarize not only his career and his life, but also you know his ideals when it comes to the art. Uh, you want to go as far back as you can to those those archetypal stories. Yeah. How familiar are you guys with the particular stories he was touching on? Uh, I know Orpheus pretty well. <laughs> I uh, and uh, yeah, I, I know a little about a lot of them. So I was, it was like in most of the stuff that he referenced and stuff that he used. I was able to go, oh, okay, I know that one. I've heard of that. Mm. <laughs> what about you guys? Um, same though. I, I I I know like all the basic bitch famous ones enough, and some minor ones. But uh, mm. uh, it does a good. He does a good job of um, taking like the framework of like this is Orpheus, and then being like. And just playing around with it and being like, well, this is my version of or- of Orpheus, which is also kind of the point of like adapting Greek mi- Greek mythology, which is or any or any like mythology at all. It's like, uh, just make it uh, your own thing, but like keep the, uh, you know, the the, the skeleton there. Yeah, and, and that's kind of you know the 
tradition of storytelling anyway, right? Yeah. You, you kind of you make it your own and you keep the story going. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that, you know, in the movie. I, I was thinking of it in context of like, uh, how many movies have people interacting like with Catholic saints or with Jesus or something like that? I, I feel like that gets thrown in like. Mo- <laughs> Mostly in like comedies where it's like, well, Jesus, what do you think? No, or, or something like that. But not, not, I can't actually pull an idea out of my brain, but I do feel like a lot of the times movies have characters referencing God or Mary or something like that. And this is like taken to the next logical conclusion. Like he's, he's dealing with like otherworldly, godly creator things uh, in the stories. Like, he's decided that this is the truth here, that the Romans or the Greeks were correct. And, uh, I mean, he's Italian. It makes sense. It's a good choice, because he doesn't have to actually delve into what the characters are other than, like, the basics of their stories. You know, going to Hades and such. Yeah. It's no Clash of the Titans, though. (laughs) <laughs> no. All right. Uh, Joel, you mentioned to me yesterday that it just reminds you of Metal Gear Solid Five. <laughs> yes. Oh, was there was there a Cocteau DLC? No. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the game? Yes. I... Uh, not Five. Oh. I've I, I've I've fallen away from a lot of gaming. Oh yeah. Uh, for some reason, Five really got me addicted into it, and the other ones I I played a bit and. Like, but really, I, I mostly watch like let's plays of him because I just mm-hmm. enjoyed the wacky story. But this one, there's parts where he's wandering in the desert. The scene where he first walks by the man wearing the the horse mask, mm-hmm. I was like, that's obviously a man in a horse mask. And then the man in the horse mask turns around and takes off the horse mask and looks at him. And for some reason, I was like, Solid Snake is pretending to be a horse in the desert. <laughs> He's infiltrating this like mystical beings thing because you know their Metal Gear is breaking the fourth wall. Also, he, he is himself, but he's not himself because he's a uh, spoiler for Metal Gear Solid Five. That's not actually Solid Snake. What? Uh, anyway, well, it's, it's Big Boss. Solid Snake. Wait, is he born yet? In the or timeline? not Solid Snake? Yeah, it's not actually Big Boss. Apologies, is what I meant yeah. to say. Yeah, wait, I think in a timeline, Solid Snake has been born i'm not sure um by the time yes because uh because liquid snake is a character in the game but he's a teenage boy yeah Yeah, elliot or something has a terrible haircut yeah uh uh, but it was the 80s yeah yeah i mean yeah it was the 80s it opens with no which one's up with diamond dogs yeah, that's the one, Diamond Dogs. Oh, no, Diamond Dogs are also that, in... I, that's in Grand Zero's opens with Diamond Dogs. Grand Zero's and Metal Gear Zero 5 both have Diamond Dogs, yeah. Okay. But, uh... Yeah, we're, not here, we're not here to talk about David Bowie. But, uh... Like, like watching this movie just made me, like, love... Like, because I've been kind of in a... Bit, kind of a rut of a lot of things. And, like, this movie just kind of, like, revived this, my, like... I have I it's like revive like like I don't say my love of movies but this is is a nice injection of like oh yeah movies can be fun and wonderful and like playful and like like it, it's a format of film you can do anything you feel like doing absolutely and, and you know even by the opening uh 
text of this film. That was kind of Cocteau's message on the way out the door. It was like, movies are the best. Am I right, guys? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we all watched this movie away. Yeah, Jean. Yeah. Yeah. Movies are the best. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that the, the subtitle or alternate title is Do Not Ask Me Why, which... Yeah feels like both a parody of like a like a pretentious like quote-unquote pretentious art house movie but also it feels like a joke of like i don't fucking know <laughs> exactly <laughs> that almost verbatim went through my head there it's like i don't fucking know man <laughs> it's just him shrugging at you like whatever yeah but um this joel you mentioned about um uh movies that talk about like religion and interacting with god and stuff like in this feels like Boonwell would have been a fan and there's a one Boonwell the Mil- the Milky Way which is basically like this type of structure of like kind of the uh, characters wandering throughout different time periods and and Milky Way very much feels like taking uh the that like the structure of this and being like okay what well, if it's about the history of the Catholic Church instead of like the career and life of a person sure <clears throat> i think that like if you wanted to read a bunch of interpretations into the mo- into this particular movie uh, it works very well for doing that yeah. uh, but uh, you know you're talking about boone well like he's hanging out with picasso also right mm-hmm. like it, and uh in this movie we've got these like spanish influences that i i almost felt like they were almost latin american because of uh, some of the way the people were dressed, as opposed to actually Spanish. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, full disclosure, when I started the movie, I got 30 mm. minutes in, and I was intoxicated, mm. and I had to turn it off because... By the film? Uh, yes, by the film and also by myself. <laughs> and uh, I had to turn it off because I started crying, because I kept thinking i've seen this place before in dreams i've seen this place before in real life Hmm. and he gets to the part where he's in the garden with the flower you know trying to do a a painting that is not a self-portrait and i was like this is my grandparents house and i had to turn it off because i started crying (laughs) i was like damn this is a this is a very effective movie Hmm. And yeah. then, then uh, I finished the rest sober this morning, and I was like, "This is still very effective, even when you're not still I mean, uh, drunk, <laughs> not the other one." Okay. Government, please hire me. <laughs> well, I live in California. I was the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you hmm. didn't see your grandparents from Peru, uh, who had immigrated with their parents from Mexico in this? Is what you're saying? Not that time. Oh, okay. Oh well, Joel. Usually I'm the crier, and this time you are. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That that was a very surprising reaction, but it was also it was so refreshing to have a movie that was not didn't feel tedious in any way. It, it moved you. Yeah, <laughs> like that's rare these days. The more movies you watch, I feel the less often that happens. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of the, like the downside of I've downside of like doing movie podcasts and like being a cinephile or whatever it's kind of like it, it, you reach a point where it's like yeah i've seen all the all these new wave movies i've seen all the action movies and then you know you get that one where it's like oh art is beautiful and, and 
and like in, inspirational <laughs> and like and like i said earlier like that that was this for me it's kind of like oh yeah like mm. art is is fun and not like cinema or like or movie like i mean like it's like the idea of art this just revived like 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 a love of like like the idea of art in me yeah uh, i like the idea of doing something like our podcast which is slightly more highbrow although i don't think we're you know brilliant people like uh wait bobby what's your college education what's that what's your college education uh i have a college degree oh god damn it (laughs) what is what is going on here i have a two-year degree (laughs) yeah but you don't count Uh, it counts (laughs) i don't have any sort of college experience because i have learning disabilities and that's all right ain't nobody gatekeeping around here listen here i know you got that successful job for you know people so i'm no i i was just very shocked when we were talking to um mike right mm-hmm. my uh my, my tag team partner tag over on the grind bin yes and oh. he was like oh i've got film degrees i'm like what <laughs> oh yeah we, we, took about, we, we, we went to college and learned about film and uh oh, okay. and we talk about we talk about trash cinema over there i think that like that's a great way to keep you humble though like not only able to only like oh this doesn't have any substance but like because you expose yourself to what people would consider trash cinema on purpose i feel like that gives you a chance to be like well actually i can see some gems and some of this other stuff you know well because honestly it wherever it came from whatever the budget is whatever the intention is it all counts (laughs) you know it's all art and and you can enjoy it it's as varied as the music you listen to Mm, yeah and you can you can appreciate uh you know uh, a classical composition, but you can also appreciate you know some meme song. <laughs> yeah. You know I've got I've got vi- I've got you know I've got vinyl LPs behind me as I speak from you know NES games. <laughs> you know it's uh, there's no uh, there's no quality line that you have to cross for a movie to be worth uh, discussing. Yeah, and that, that's because you're not keeping that. You don't keep that gate even for yourself, like you're saying. No gatekeepers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Knock oh. that gate down with the fourth wall. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, Joel, the episode you were talking about, um, the other guest on, on on that episode also has a has a film degree. <laughs> uh, who was the other one on there? Uh, no one from Cinema Parlor. Okay, see that makes sense, but uh, Mike, you know. As far as I know, when he's not recording, he's in the backyard opening jars of mayonnaise with a big spoon and, uh, you know, by banging on it hard enough until it cracks open and then just eating it out of the bathtub he's also in. You know, I've been to his place. That's pretty close. All right. Hmm. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I don't want to tell you what I think Spencer does with his free time. Uh, I, I can't even I, speculate. I don't want to say what I think you do with your free time. Uh... <laughs> oh man, about to watch the Mega Powers explode here. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, another Metal Gear Solid thing is the the skull mask and you know skull face. Yes, that's another thing. I was like, I didn't see that until I was sober, and I was like, mm-hmm. well, there's skull face. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they took that for Metal Gear. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I won't be surprised. Uh, Kojima seems a watch or like read everything yeah he's a movie buff yeah like i know at least he loves carpenter and um cameron 
but I'm I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I, I I'm not aware of or never paid enough attention to. I think he likes Guillermo del Toro, but I'm not sure. I think they're probably his friends in real life, though. I mean, he was in the game. <laughs> he was in that Death Stranding. That's that was the joke. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm sure they're friends in real life too. Del Toro okay. seems like a, a lovable, lovable guy. Oh yeah, he can come over for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, like half his films don't hit for me, but like I I want to hang out with the guy. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Not that he's bad. It's just like, eh, not not really for me, except for Blade Two. Um, but like everything is you know, good, solid. But like he seems like like Kevin Smith, like a, a more fun hang. <laughs> yeah, I you know the most extreme for me would probably be Eli Roth. Of like I I find myself hating all of his art, but I, he seems like a dude I want to have a beer with. Mm. Mm, he seems a little too. Like, I feel like there's a lot we could talk about. <laughs> yeah. Like he's both like super broy, but also like, oh, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if I keep the subject matter on movies, I think we're fine. <laughs> yeah, I think we might start disagreeing about other things. Yeah, but... yeah, I can't wait to talk to him about the Green Inferno. Oi. Yeah. <laughs> well, well. I swear, I swear, I'm gonna uh, like one of his movies one day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, Eli Roth is the reason I started watching Italian movies to begin with, because he. On uh, the commentary for Hostel Two, wait, yeah, Hostel One is Japanese influence. He yeah, Two is an Italian influence one. Um, yeah. Um, because uh, in the commentary, well, his commentaries are great. Like he's a great talker, and he know. Oh yeah. And um, he talked about uh, Campbell Holocaust, and so I was like, well, I have to watch that movie now, and so that was the first Italian movie I ever saw, because of because uh, of him. And, what uh, a what a way to put a toe in the water of Italian horror! Yeah, I know, but then I like got into <laughs> um, uh, Argento shortly after, and that was, and then that just like set me off the path that you know led to this uh, French slash Italian season. Yeah, then then he started killing turtles on his own. Yeah, really. <laughs> see, my my entryway was uh, Fulci. Hmm. That's that's who got me into oh, okay, the, the Italian stuff. Same thing. Because I was uh, I was really into zombies as a young man. I was like, "There's a movie just called Zombie. Let's go." Huh. <laughs> and then, and then you find the Beyond, and it's all over. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to go back to like the first Italian, like actual Italian movie made by Italians that I remember seeing, it was probably the Roberto Benigni Pinocchio, where he plays Pinocchio. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> But that did that did not get me into Italian movies. That got me into cre- creepy old men who dress like clown boys. Hmm. Well, we all get there eventually, Joel. Yeah. Oh yeah. But Pinocchio is a scary story to begin with. It's just it's just like body horror. Oh, absolutely. When he when he smokes a cigar and turns into a donkey, I was terrified. Yeah, like that. That was one of the Disney movies as a kid. It'd be like, do you know how to watch Lion King or Pinocchio? I'd be like, uh, Lion King. <laughs> Yeah, I watch Mufasa die a hundred times over before I watch this horror show. Yeah, like that was like that, and um, Fox and the Hound and uh, Dumbo this always made me feel so sad. I like I don't want to watch those, <laughs> which is saying yeah, a lot. If a five year old says I don't want to watch that movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're getting too bummed out by it. Yeah. But you know, kind of uh, tying into what Joel was saying earlier about uh, about you know finding yourself weeping at the film, I've found myself moved to tears by such weird uh films Mm -hmm. 
Like, I almost can't predict when I'm going to end up crying at a movie. Uh, I, I cried watching Swiss Army Man. Hmm. Do you remember that film? Um, there's, It's been on my Let's list see, of, uh, eventually I'll get to it for like five years. Uh, worth a watch, I think, if you want to watch uh, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe play a farting corpse. <laughs> hmm. Uh, a Knight's Tale moved me to tears once. Is it? Wait, let me let me think about this. Um, I've seen parts of A Knight's Tale. Is, the, is it sister. the part where he's reunited with his blind father? Oh, uh, why you even got to bring it up, Joel? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to really think. Oh about God! This. And, and Spencer, his dad, is touching his face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. The last time I saw that, I was like, "Oh, this movie is silly," and the music. Oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, it's like there's that one scene, you know. It's like uh, RoboCop Two has one of those that one scene moments <laughs> where like. His wife found out that he's Alex Murphy, so she comes to the lab, and she's like, we can figure it out, we can make it work. But, you know, he he knows that they can never be together again, so he has to get her out of here. Yeah. And, and so he has her touch his cold face, he just very <laughs> plainly goes, they made this to honor him, I don't know you, and he walks away from her. Ah! Ghosted. Oh, I needed, like, three days to recover from that. <clears throat> New uh. body, who dis? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what what are your guys' favorite moments in Testament of Orpheus? Ooh. Oh boy, God! There were so many moments that I loved. Uh, well, I loved uh, I loved our guest cameo by Yul Brenner. Yeah. Oh yeah. That and every that whole scene that 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 you know he introduces us to. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a great moment. Of, like this movie is also really funny, which I think we should uh, make make it clear. Like. It's this is not homework, it's 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 uh it's it's serious and like arts and artsy, but it's also like funny and moves at a great pace and it's like, yeah. I mean, I I think it's it depends on the person who's watching yeah. it. Like I can see somebody watching this and thinking it's homework because it doesn't make any sense. And yeah, but it's so funny though. Well, I mean, I, I thought it was real funny. I walked in completely blindly. I didn't look up the genre. I didn't look up a description up there. Like, it, it doesn't take long to figure out we're watching something absurdist, but also uh, incredibly personal. If you're familiar with, like, I, I don't even know. I I, it sounds, well. I I feel like I sound pretentious. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to say is, is like, if somebody was like... Uh, I don't understand what's going on, so I don't like this movie. That once again, I'd be like, "Yeah, I totally get that." It's it is kind of homework for people like that. I guess, but like, it it, it, it I don't know. Like, it, it's a Boone Well sense of humor, so like, it really connects with me. I'll show it to my yeah. niece, who is twenty two, and if she doesn't get mad at me, then we'll know it's okay. Okay. But uh, there's an attitude that. Jean has playing himself in this movie that makes this very fun. His reactions to things, mm. uh, like when uh, when Yul Brynner uh, says to him, "You know, abandon all hope here," implying that you know, oh, by the way, you're in hell right now. <laughs> uh, he responds with, "Yeah, I figured as much." As he's looking around, <laughs> like, "Oh boy, that figures." <laughs> yeah. Um. I also loved. Uh, there's this weird aside where we uh, we go talk to um, uh, the countess mm -hmm. with her, with her whistle. She blows a whistle, and two dudes in speedos <laughs> prance by, pretending they're a horse. No, 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 they're a dog. 
Oh, pardon me, pretending they're a dog. Yeah. And I had in my notes at that point, this movie's fucking great, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was having a great time. And, like, I, I like the concept uh, or the idea that, like, she's like him. She's a person who's unstuck in time. But she's obviously adapted, at least in some way, to, like, survive. Where she's like, I rule this area. I have a manservant. And I have very specific things that I do. You know, I'm reading this book. I can't read it because it's not going to be finished into the 70 years, even though I exist outside of time. And you know what? I need my faithful dog. You two put on the speedos. You're, you're, you're my dog now. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it's kind of like you're going to be here forever now, so. But you can make it work. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, what about you, Spencer? Did you have a favorite moment? It has to be the flower, because, like, that, like, I wasn't moved to tears, but, like, this him uh, putting a flower back together was just, like. Very emotional. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. emotional, too. It was like. How the fuck did he do that? And I know how he did it, but just thinking about like, like I started, yeah. I started to rip up paper, and be like, okay, like, how would how would this work and make it look? This dude wrecked a whole garden <laughs> trying to make this yeah, shot. Work. That's the thing, yeah. Like, uh, he obviously did it very carefully. To like, when he was tearing, he like tore it. Like, I almost think the footage is not only played in reverse, but it's sped up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's obviously tearing very carefully and then, like, folding the pieces back rather than just, like, letting them fall after they're torn. Yeah, like, the, the measure of patience it must have taken to do the shot. And like you said, they must have gone through a bunch of flowers until they caught it right. But, yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, uh, that, that whole sequence and and probably, like, the the part uh, when like uh when the uh i'm still not good at french names the, his his um his guide through th- to the afterlife it's a suggest suggest yeah uh and he's and he tells them to okay uh draw a uh draw a flower and he draws a self-portrait and and it's just like this very plain simple way of putting it like if you make art it's like you're making your own version of something and you can't like it's a very simple idea of like the art you make is unique to you but like this scene that visualizes like oh this is beautiful i love this so much yeah Yeah, that was such a a powerful moment too though like whatever your art is you're expressing yourself with it always a self-portrait so like Mm -hmm. every every piece of art an artist makes is in some way a self-portrait yeah that's some big thoughts and, uh, <laughs> and I love that about and, this. Like, and, you um, get these, you get these deep thoughts and these emotional chords, but then like Bojack Horseman talks about <laughs> it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I bet he's got a silence pistol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I also really loved. Uh, there's a joke he makes, which I thought was a great line, where uh, he gets offered a cigarette by the scientist mm-hmm. he's talking to, and he goes, "You know, smoke in 1700. I had to pretend to invent the cigarette." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's pretty funny, actually. That's good. Like, that was a good one, JC. It's never yeah. going to catch <laughs> it. Was, it, it yeah, people, yeah, people were like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the, the intellectuals in love, when they're uh, like... Oh, yeah. They're, they're kind of making out, well, but they're like writing their autographs or whatever. And like, that's just such a, like, that's a, that's a Boonwell joke. And that's the type of joke you'd see like in the Milky Way. 
which is filled with a couple truly to me hilarious moments and it's like oh this is this like this this thing feels custom made for me I feel like the there's, there's one of those moments for everybody watching this movie, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really like the whole uh, the table trial, especially because it starts off from the garden where they, they immediately just, they basically just, when you see him leave the garden, he opens a, a glass door with a metal handle, just like any other like hospital administration building. And, yeah. and of course, when they go in, it is a set. Well, it's it's an undone set. They they walk on a wooden path to a door that they open and a stair on the other side. And there's just and that, a, uh, a table. empty theater sound of their footfalls mm-hmm. walking down that corridor. Yeah. And like for some reason, even though it's obvious that they're on a film set, you feel like this uh, gravitas because you know that there is a mystery that this this person unstuck in time is doesn't know the answer to but also knows the answer to and also will never know the answer to and when those people magically appear at the table once again that film trick that old school silent film like mm-hmm. they're there they're not there or vice versa feels it doesn't feel like an artificial thing it feels like oh of course this is how a god would appear to an artist because that's how he interp- interprets like how they would appear appear in a movie yeah um anyways what i say is uh movies are good the end okay. <laughs> right, uh... you, you took a knife and you popped your smoke balloon <laughs> it's I, i'm doing the thing that people do when they feel like they're being too sincere but they're embarrassed when they uh-huh. try to make a joke out of it that's that that's i have to realize that's what i'm doing yeah yeah, yeah you, you do that a lot i've noticed shut your pie hole okay i think that's normal that's a lot that's a lot of people uh, yeah you know? bobby he said i paying you oh. to be my therapist so, uh, so how's your relationship with your father, Joel? Well, he donated his mustache to science, and I never really got over it. <laughs> Here, can you put this flower back together while we talk about this? No problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, what was it? Also, I, I also uh-huh. really dug all the uh, scenes where he's interacting with the, the quote-unquote professor. Uh-huh. Like the professor's oops. great. <laughs> oops, I ruined his life. <laughs> and when, when, he show, and when, when they call him as a witness for the trial, they teleport him into the room. He's like, "What the fuck? I was in bed." Yeah. <laughs> He's like, "Leave me alone." <laughs> you have to keep telling him. Don't worry, it's gonna appear as a dream to you. Like, yeah, it, none of this is gonna matter. Don't worry. Yeah. Um. But as a man of science, I love when someone's like, I'm a time traveler. He's like, dope. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Have you guys seen... <laughs> like he's, he's never going to be a skeptic. He's just going to be like, let's explore this. Have you guys seen Baron Munchausen, any of them? You know, I never saw it. But... it you know, in my, my video store clerk days, I passed by the the cover for the Baron Munchausen video for the longest time, and I just never, never actually took it home. Mm. I've seen the Czech one. Yeah, the Czech one is the only one I've seen part of. Well, I've seen part of the Gilliam one also, but I've seen most of the Czech one, and that was totally reminding me of this. Oh yeah, I just, I, yeah, I do see. Surely inspired. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Um, Zemin, I think it's Zemin Carroll. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name offhand. I'm pretty sure he, he has to be a, uh, at least, know of um, Cocteau, because they're 
because like some of his other movies have a have that kind of like very simplistic uh like silent era effects um energy to it and uh wait uh uh bear munchausen is the one where it's like it it there was like it's painted like everything looks painted yes okay uh, it, it's all one tone color and he's he appears to be a man who's like manipulating time and going in and out of stories okay yeah taking that's, a man from the moon yeah, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't thinking of the other ones but um that should, I think that movie I think that uh, Baron Munchausen should be on Cartoon Channel but um uh, I'm not 100% on that it was yeah I don't know I haven't checked recently yeah uh are uh are these Cocteau films available on the Criterion Channel? The only w- since they were Criterion releases, I know on discs. The only one on Criterion Channel was Orpheus, nineteen fifty. Okay. Uh, uh, shockingly, Beauty and Beast is not, which I was. Uh, it wasn't. Are you sure? It wasn't a few weeks ago. It says it That's is odd. according it to Letterboxd, but huh? I mean, being his most well-known and you know renowned film you'd think it'd be the easiest to, to track down yeah and uh actually a kind of funny story um former guest to um dave stone rob um he has the criterion of uh, beauty and the beast and his and he's getting rid of stuff and his wife said why don't you give uh give our nieces that uh, beauty and the beast and he's like it's not like the disney movie she's like sure sure whatever which I, I want. Uh, oh. What happens in the movie? It's just like. <laughs> it's not like a Disney movie. It's not the same thing. It's a very different take on it. You're saying when it's Bobby said much Mrs. Darker. Potts wasn't in it, he was being serious? Well, as serious as I am capable. <laughs> Mrs. Potts in the original French movie? Or yeah. story? <laughs> I see. Guys, uh, wait, where's Lubier? Uh, by the way, random aside, since we're talking about this, because I don't know how often I'll get to talk about Disney's Beauty and the Beast uh, on my own show. Um, you know, my wife and I are big Disney people. You know, we live in Southern California. We go to Disneyland all the time. And there was a uh, an older lady who was working the the gate at California Adventure, and she was calling people Disney characters as they came hmm. in. It was just like, you know, a kid kid scans their past, she walks in, she's like, have a good day, you know, uh, Cinderella, or whatever it might be. Uh, and she called, uh, I, I believe she called my wife Belle at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And when she got to me, she went, you know, have fun, Luminero. <laughs> I was like, didn't, didn't get all of it. <laughs> but I think it's funny, you work at Disneyland and you, you're messing up the names. But, uh, Luminero. Smells like a steak and seats 35. We're just going to make Disney references. <laughs> and Simpsons references, I mean. Yeah. All right, let's start over, guys. Hello, welcome to... <laughs> <laughs> welcome to God Damn It, the Piano Player. But do you think you could show, like, Beauty and the Beast, the Cocteau version, to, like, a seven-year-old? And they would... Like, I feel like visually they enjoy it, but, like, that that's about it. Probably only visually, certainly. Um, I know that uh, uh, Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale mm-hmm. Theater 
back in the late 80s, did a Beauty and the Beast with uh, Klaus Kinski yep. playing the Beast. And it was heavily influenced by the Cocteau version. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of the visual style and a lot of the, the storytelling aspects. So I, I, it certainly uh, was something that could be presented to children, I thought. Yeah. Um, maybe pretentious little French kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, go, you, you know how they are with their, with their short pants and their hand-rolled cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're red balloons. Absolutely. But uh, I think it could be presented to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it is a much darker version. Uh, famously, uh, Glenn Danzig of the Misfits uh, cited Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast as his favorite film of all time. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And that's that's the edgiest of edgelords. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, it's for a certain type of young person. Yeah. Uh uh, I just we need to actually say this before I forget, but um, uh, one of my favorite episodes from last season, Chameleon Street, uh, that brilliant um, this film like you can't really classify a movie; it's a class of its own. But uh, that movie is heavily influenced by Beauty and the Beast, down to uh, Wendell B. Harris um, mimics the makeup and costume in uh, from that movie and Chameleon Street. And it's it's not just like a random reference; it thematically fits into what the movie's about. But mm. uh, wow, yeah, Camille, uh, kind of out of print and crazy expensive now. But which there's no excuse for that in this day and age. Yeah, but uh, well, listen to Camille Street episode, and you'll fi- you'll figure out maybe why no one wants to pick it up. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh yeah, people listen to that so that movie's great and try to track it down. Uh but uh I feel like I'm wrapping up, but there's one little joke that uh I wrote down where uh it's early on where a little girl's asked, Who is Jean Cocteau? and she says, Oh, he's a musician. He <laughs> plays the buffoon <laughs> and he's like <laughs> <laughs> And and the other character corrects her that it's the bassoon, but Jean Cocteau observing this is just like, yeah, she got it. <laughs> yeah, and just like you know, uh, just like you know, there are uh, moments of of artistic brilliance and moments of like, oh, it's just a silly wordplay. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea though that this is what's going to happen when someone who is a brilliant artist is just fucking around. Like, there's still going to be. Uh, there's still going to be these moments of brilliance, but for the most part, he's just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, um, I, you know, yeah, fuck, I would highly recommend this movie. Um, uh, I had a slight. I, I was kind of weird watching it uh, initially because I hate um, the eyes painted on eyelids. It creeps me the fuck out. It's so, like, oh, is that is that like a phobia of yours or? Uh, this ain't thing with eyes, like down to like I can't go to like I went to the eye doctor two years ago and almost had a panic attack. Like it's wow. Uh, yeah, it's like it's. I'm sorry, I brought up Fulci earlier. We had a Fulci episode. Like I can handle Fulci, uh, but like that's kind of the limit. Like I think it's like one final destination was like a laser into an eyeball. Like nope, I'm not gonna see that in a theater because that I will not be able to sit there for it. <laughs> yeah. But even something like painting uh, eyeballs on your eyelids. Yeah, that just freaks me out. It's just any kind of anything off about eyes. It's not just not just eye injuries, but anything that just is abnormal about an eye gives you the, a chill up your spine. Pretty much, except for 
Uh, I need to be careful how, how to say this. <clears throat> I worked at a nursing home where there was a resident who had a his eye was like permanently puffy, mm-hmm. and it's very yeah. off off putting to see at first, but you kind of get used to it. But like sure. you'd see little like grandkids visiting, and like they had kind of react and like be scared of him which was always a little bit sad but you, you know yeah. you can't you can't help oh. but like a little kid will be like oh that's that's freaky looking but uh yeah. we could but you get used to those <clears throat> things i had when i was very young my grammy was missing an arm and she was pretty open about mm-hmm. it and like you know it, it became not weird you know mm-hmm. yeah but anyway yeah, my father was missing his mustache but it turned out he donated it to science <laughs> okay <laughs> They're still studying it to this day. Mm-hmm. He, but, had a, uh, that's, that's, he had a cybernetic go. mustache installed like Cable. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, so the <laughs> the eye eyeball and eyelids like yeah, it's too it's the it it, it almost <laughs> made me not want to watch the movie. But I'm glad this I did season watch it. we've watched a lot of eye weirdness things already. That is true. So Columbo and Jeff Hardy are both right out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, this movie is on DVD. There's a Korean um, Criterion that's really cheap that you can get, but uh, pretty affordable for sure. Uh, anyone who's uh, maybe unable to get it tangibly, uh, you can catch it on Daily Motion. So the the year, the fifth came out in 1960, and. Do you guys have other things from 1960 you guys would recommend? Oh man, no. Other things from 19... <laughs> no, not a single film from 1960. <laughs> uh, we've done 1960 a bunch of times. Yeah, we have. I mean, La Ventura. Um... Uh, the Apartment's great, obviously. Psycho. Oh, yeah, we did Breathless. Yeah. Oh, I'm obviously a big fan of uh, 13 Ghosts. Oh, Vincent Price. The, uh, the original yes. uh, the original William Castle classic. Yeah, speaking of Pride Month, uh, uh, Vincent Price. Absolutely. By Icon. That's another uh, movie I started uh, to watch when I was intoxicated, and I the, the beginning part with the introduction of all the ghosts, I had to turn it off because it was too scary, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> What's awesome is I'm, I'm we're talking about this right now. Uh, I am sitting next to a ghost viewer uh, replica from the original theatrical run of Thirteen Ghosts. Oh, cool! Because they would give you in the theaters there was this ghost viewer which used 3D glasses technology mm-hmm. where you look through the blue end if you did not wish to see the ghosts. Oh! And you look through mm-hmm. the red part if you did. It was wow. sort of to, to gauge your uh, you know your level of fear for the movie, which I thought was such a fun gimmick for the release of that. Totally. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, have you ever like hooked up electric shockers into the seat in case you were going to watch uh, the shocker or whatever it was called? You know, uh, I'm working on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise my wife with the shocker in the uh, yeah, um, next time we put I'm on a horror film. I even s- I'm trying to remember what I said last time, but there are going to be a couple 1960 things. But uh, uh, I think I, re- I recommended a book last time. And I'll just say say it say it again, so people will you know maybe seek it out. But um, around this around 1960, can't remember the exact year, but the Cyprian Aquinci, no, yes Cyprian Aquinci, I got the order right. 
um, novel uh, Jaguar Nana came out. He was a contemporary of Ch Chino Achebe and uh, a Quincy focused on like urban life and contemporary Nigeria where um, Achebe focused on uh, more historical and uh, other he had other interests but uh, Quincy kind of gets forgotten with like the in the uh, compared to like other uh, African writers of his era but he's a part of that wave of African literature of the time and uh, all his books are pretty short and I highly recommend uh, everyone check out um, check out his books they're really cheap and I don't know if there are any special editions or anything but you can get like some old paperbacks for a decent price and uh, yeah just read That's more awesome. uh, yeah, read more. Read more African novels. There's uh, a whole lot of them from the 50s and 60s. Uh, J-Dog. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, another uh, 1960 movie worth bringing up. I'm sure it came up in one of the previous incarnations of this podcast, but uh, The Magnificent Seven came out in 1960. Uh, the uh, John Sturges Western adaptation of uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. I bring it up specifically because it stars Yul Brynner, who starred in this film? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait a minute. How could he be in two places at once? Well, he was unstuck in time, Joel. He was oh. able to... Uh, see, he was both there and not there. Yeah. By the way, I'm pretty sure if I'm going to hell, I want Yul Brenner to be the one who greets me. <laughs> but I want him to be Yul Brenner from uh, Westworld. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'd want to call me out for order to milk. <laughs> I want the Christopher Lee Devil from that uh, that uh, uh, poorly thought out uh, TV movie. Uh, oh, fuck, was it called like a poor devil from like the seventies? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Vaguely, I remember that. I remember somewhat of about that, but I've not seen it. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is like a servant in hell, and there's some weird like uh, vaguely like slave uh, imagery going on there. It's like. Oh, this, these white people did not consider what this would look like on screen. <laughs> now, was this when Sammy was legit dabbling in Satanism at the time because he thought it would help his career? This was early 70s, so I really don't know. I think, like, I think it might be around that time because he was hanging <laughs> out with um, he was hanging out with Anton LaVey and, uh, and Jane Mansfield, and he joined the Satanic Church very briefly and then like got out of there shortly after when like his career didn't... Uh, didn't pick up steam because of it. No, oh. but I talked about it on a podcast that never happened with former guest Gina Radcliffe, and in an episode I made a joke that uh, because we was we were talking about like uh, is an excuse for orgies the church or Satan. And I was like is that how he lost his eye, and I still feel <laughs> proud about making that joke. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, it's like, oh, you poor devil, or something like that. Anyway, um, it's it's really uh, interesting TV movie, failed pilot. That <clears throat> you watch, you're like, oh yeah, there's a reason this didn't come to a series. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Okay, I had to go into because I've I, literally the only thing I haven't recommended from 1960 are some Looney Tunes cartoons. And a really boring action movie called September Storm. 
and uh, I don't even remember what happens in it. I just know I gave it two and a half stars, which is actually, in my opinion, worse than a two-star movie because it's just kind of like, eh, it was there. Um, so I'm, I'm skipping all forward. I'm jumping through time to a 1963 movie directed by Hermano Omi, O-L-M-I, and it's called The Fiancés. And we... It's, it's kind of neorealism, kind of not, uh, about this couple who... Um, they're fiancés and they've been fiancés for a long time and it, it's kind of like at the almost at the ends of their relationship when we first meet them like um, there's a scene where they're getting ready to dance at a dance hall and it, it's it's almost they're kind of there out of just like habit not because they actually want to dance with each other kind of sleepwalking um, at this point right but the woman gets a job somewhere else and so they you know uh absence makes the heart go you know stronger or whatever sure. and they start becoming closer because of this absence and um i i remember really liking it I, I don't remember much more than that there's only the two actors in the movie uh kind of reminded me of the way in um that agnes Varda movie we watched that couple seemed to like exist in their own world outside of everything that was happening around them. Yeah. Uh, so that's it, yeah. I, I I don't know many people who are championing the movie, but I, I thought it was pretty good. The fiancés, and okay. uh, it was on Criterion. I don't know. It's, it says it is still on Criterion Channel. Oh. No, and uh, I I five one. I mentioned it before, but it's it's not gonna die. It's um when a woman sends the stairs, the uh, Nasaru. Naruse. I always get the I always get the Naruse. That's it. Yeah. Uh, not Naruse film. It's the first Naruse film I ever saw, and uh, it's great. And not gonna die. It's a, it's a, his era when he's always playing a villain, and you're like is he playing a villain in this? And he's not as good of a guy in it as you think. And it's like, okay, it's, it's not too much of a departure for it. Mm. You're like, there it is. Yeah, yeah. there's a moment where it's like, okay, this is a Nakadai, you know. But it's a great movie. And, um, you know, hashtag Nakadai forever. Greatest actor alive. <laughs> yeah. He really is. And uh, still alive. As of now. I hope he... I hope he survives the play. At the time of this recording. Yeah. Yes. And, um... He's yes. gonna live forever. Like, I hope he does. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, Bobby, I believe you're on uh, a podcast or two? Yeah, I might be appearing on a few. <laughs> um, yeah, if, uh... If, if y'all want to yuck it up to some Grindhouse movies, my home turf is the Grindbin podcast with the previous Shoot the Piano Player guest, Mike Wood. Uh, you can find us at GrindPod on Twitter and the Grindbin podcast on pretty much every other social media site or places where fine podcasts are served. Alright. Are you going to be on Bloody As well Bits? as Joel and Spencer. You guys were just on recently as well. Yeah. Within the last few months. Um, are you going to be on Bloody Bits or anything this month? 
Uh, yeah, I am actually uh, for Pride Month. Uh, myself being LGBT, uh, I'm bringing them uh, Nightmare Two to uh, to discuss an often misunderstood, often lambasted Freddy Krueger movie. Yeah, um, I, I do want to point out. I didn't intend this to be a secret Pride episode, but kind of turned into one. <laughs> it just <laughs> kind of worked out that way, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, wait, this month what's happening? Um, I don't know. I might be on a movies from hell again. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but uh, I, I have a couple down the uh, in in the works with uh, Bradley and Dan. Uh, at least one or two on weird animation. Uh, no, sorry, fucked up animation, as they like to say. I have some <laughs> pics of like weird animated stuff I want to talk about. And um. Uh, and I'm working on trying to get uh, at least another podcast right now, but uh, still talk, trying to determine what movie. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Also, this month is June, so there will be uh, another episode released this month. And that's all I'll say about that. Fantastic. And Joel, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know what you're talking about. Okay. And, uh... For... I am not only a participant in this podcast, I am the podcast itself. Whoa. Yes. It was Joel all along. Yeah. And, oh, I should say the other person involved in the other episode has sent me the information, so you need to send me your information for the episode. Oh, you need my measurements? Uh, Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) To the left or to the right? Depends on the time of day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have anything special coming up at the moment. I'm All always right. working on something that never gets done. Okay. Well, this will come out uh, probably mid June, based off uh, uh, how I typically do it. So this will come out um, after. I don't fucking know. The new episodes are Hiroshima More with Sam Deegan and uh, uh, General Della Rivera. Uh, what's the movie called? The, the Ross Lee movie we recorded the episode for already. Uh, General. Uh, I was just looking at it because that came out in 60. or is it 59? 59. The yeah, movie 59. about, like, fascism in World War Two. It's a really. It's a uh, great movie. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great great war movie. It's really relevant. That's it. And it's very relevant now. And it's like uh I'll, I'll say like this movie really makes it uh it's really really relevant and it makes it make realize pick a side neutrality and it, in situations is uh certain situations is the coward's way out. Absolutely. Yeah. And um uh yeah, that's it. Uh, my blog, um, the African history one, the Japanese movie one, uh, you know, th- th- they exist. And uh, this, I'll announce this now. I kind of have like 10 things uh, planned out for a Japanese movie one, and then, I'll, then I might be done, done with it because I want to focus 100% on the African history one. But there's like 50 reviews on there already, so, mm. you know, plenty to. Plenty to look at. And that's as of now, I might decide to 
extend by like 10 more things planned out and then that that's the end of it anyway so um bobby thank you for coming on yeah thank uh, you guys it's been a pleasure yeah you can uh, come back on anytime you know tell me a topic or i can send you the list or whatever i'd be happy to and uh yeah see you guys either for general della rivera or hiroshima monomore the show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art at sarahkathleenroberts.com, and thank you for listening.